This is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's now Friday, January 23rd, and this is, of course, the Island College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform. Is it really recently? It feels like it's been a while now. <laughs> it's been a hot minute, yeah. <laughs> that at some point in the past six months, they launched a version of a platform called Squarespace 7, which is a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. You want to try it? Go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off. That's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. I'm joined. Do you this just episode. wake up? Do you wake up saying that every morning? I mean, at this point, you got it pretty much down, man. Yeah, we have to understand. Like my radio show is is basically a radio show of me doing that. Like I I <laughs> I, I ultimately have a radio show primarily so that I can uh, read things for money, and so I I I got all of them down pat. If you ever want to go through anything about uh, sport clips or um, uh, AT and T, uh, U verse. I can knock them all out for you, like pretty quickly. I'm, I, I've got it down to an art. Good deal, man. How you doing? I, I'm doing well. You guys okay? Yeah, do, doing pretty well. Uh, thanks, Sam, for getting up early on this Friday morning. Yeah, it is Friday morning, like I said, and it's uh, yeah, it's um, it's early on the West Coast. We'll just keep it at that. I want to start with this real quick because I know it was a, a late night, and the night was sort of ended with Gonzaga blowing out uh, St. Mary's. I, this game was, I guess, big because it's all, Gonzaga-St. Mary's is always big, but but they were both 7-0, and I guess, in the West Coast Conference. And so even though the point spread was, uh, I think, 15 points, which suggested we were going to get something similar to what we got, um, it, it was a game that, you know, if you were up late, you were going to watch it. And they got away from St. Mary's in the second half. Sam, I'll start with you. Um is that it? I mean, that's the West Coast Conference, right? If you if if Gonzaga's going to handle St. Mary's like that, they're going to handle everybody like that, right? Oh yeah, um, Gonzaga is pretty clearly the favorite and team that will win the West Coast. I'm not going to try and paint it otherwise. Um, St. Mary's, uh, their their offense really abandoned them in the second half. At that point, um, they went. Well, I want to say like ten minutes where they only scored one field goal. And that's a credit to both Gonzaga's defense and St. Mary's poor offense. But Gonzaga really got out and really contested all of St. Mary's jumpers. They really clamped down. And that's a that's a question that a lot of people have had about them. Because, I mean, they do employ guys like Kyle Wilcher, Kevin Pangos, who might be considered like a bit of defensive liabilities. But uh, they, they really got down and really, uh, really shut down that St. Mary's team that uh, had been fairly potent offensively before that game. Uh, but St. Mary's isn't done by any means. It wouldn't surprise me to see them knock off Gonzaga in Moraga. But uh, Gonzaga is going to win the West Coast. Let's uh, not get it twisted there. Norlander, somebody asked me this, I guess it was last week, so I'll ask you, if Gonzaga were to you know, knock out the rest of their games, you know, kill Memphis at home, kill everybody else in the West Coast Conference, and then go lose at St. Mary's and basically enter Selection Sunday with two losses. They'd have an overtime loss at Arizona and let's just say a competitive loss or or whatever, any kind of loss at St. Mary's. Still a one seed? Uh, okay, great question. Glad you asked it. Thank, um, you. Thank you. I think they, well, great question to whoever asked you, actually. I'm not giving you the <laughs> um, So... I would say they will get the one seed. See, I, Arizona is going to get it if they 
run through the pack. Like I would say two losses. If Arizona's at three or less, Arizona will get it. And if Arizona's at four, and that four also includes Arizona winning the Pac-12 tournament, though, I still think there's a good chance Arizona will get the one seed over Gonzaga in that situation because I think the resume is going to bear out to be stronger, merely by the fact that the Pac-12 is going to send probably four or five to the tournament. We'll see. Um, and the West Coast Conference will only send one unless Gonzaga does not win the league tournament or St. Mary's essentially wins every other game the rest of the way except the uh, the West Coast Conference tournament final and maybe one other loss. That's the only way I think that league is getting in two teams. So ultimately, I think Gonzaga is going to get a two. Yeah. I, I, oh, well, how about this? Okay, so we talk about the resumes being stronger and whatever, but what if we end up where on Selection Sunday – because this is the case right now. Arizona so, already has two losses worse than any of Gonzaga's losses, and that probably will be true on on, uh, on Selection Sunday as well. Yeah. Um, I still think that... I, I still think the committee will look at that head-to-head, and if Arizona... Which I think Arizona's going to play pretty strongly the rest of the way in league play. Um, I mean, that was a, a fairly convincing win over... A Stanford team I actually think is the second best team in the Pac-12. I, I do too. It, I do too. That's a good win last night. That is a good win. Uh, a lot of people did not think that Stanford was the second best team for a good while. Maybe that's still the case. But I still I like what the Cardinal has. Um, I ultimately. Oh no 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 no! Utah's still in the Pac-12. Utah's still the second. Yeah, best. yeah. No, I, I think I think Stanford's better than Utah. What? Uh, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm anti that Norlander. Yeah, I know, uh, I know. Um, so when we get to the end of the day with Gonzaga and Arizona, the committee's going to look at resumes, records versus top 50, and Arizona's likely to have something like a, an 8-3 and three mark, whereas Gonzaga will have a 3-1, and 3-2 mark, something like that. Um, so that ultimately might play in more to them getting a one seed or not. There also could be the case where if Gonzaga and Arizona really finish strongly and we have other teams tumble, they could both get ones. Um, but we, we would have to see. I mean, that would, I think a lot of things would have to break their way for that to happen because there's going to be, you know, Wisconsin, the Big 12 winner, the ACC winner, um, you know, there's, there are a lot of teams in, in play there. But uh, but it's getting to a fun part of the season where we can really start trying to figure how these teams are, are shaping up in regard to that. I mean, Palm put up a, a new bracketology on the site today. Um, so we're getting, you know, we have enough of a resume right now with a lot of these teams where we can start projecting. Right now he has Kentucky – Duke, Virginia, and Gonzaga. As I think that's right. Run. I think that's right right now. I think that is right right now as well. Uh, but uh, it's going to be hard for Gonzaga, Arizona to both get ones because uh, let's just go ahead and pencil in Kentucky, Virginia. I don't think if even if they stumble, I don't think they're going to stumble enough to fall off the top line. So there's two right there, and then that Wisconsin loss at Rutgers, like that's so easily if the committee needs it to. 
is just yes. going to get wiped away because right. Frank didn't yeah, play. They, I I think maybe, but they didn't have Kaminsky. That's the only thing. Well, that's what I mean. It's going to be wiped away. That's what I mean. It's oh, like, I thought you meant it would be yeah. like an easy if they were like debating one season. Oh like, no, Wisconsin well, has the bad loss. So no, we'll wipe I, I mean just the opposite. Like it okay. will just be wiped off the resume. They'll say Frank didn't play. Let's just disregard that. I, gotcha. You know, I so I, I think it's going to be hard for Arizona Gonzaga both. I'm curious. What do you not like about Arizona? And I only say this because. Um, earlier in the week on one of the Inside College Basketball shows, or maybe it was a radio interview somewhere, I don't remember, but somebody asked me about Utah, and the question was sort of framed in a way like, are we sure Utah's any good? And I'm like, why are we even talking about that? It's like it's like late January, and they're sitting here at 15-3. and three. They've got a, a win over Wichita State. They've got a win at BYU. They've blown out the UNLV team that beat Arizona. I recognize a lot of people have beaten that UNLV team. But, um, you know, they, they beat the crap out of UCLA. Like, I don't have any doubts about Utah right now. I think they're, like, legitimate top 10, 15 team in the country. And in my mind, clearly the best team in the Pac-12. And maybe, maybe, the, like, could end up being the Pac-12 champions. I Why are you skeptical about Utah? Oh, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm skeptical. I would say skeptical. it's relative to, like, I would consider Arizona a top five team, and then I would put Stanford and Utah, you know, maybe 13, 14 overall. I, I, really, I, I, I have Stanford only by a hair because DeLon Wright's an awesome player. I mean, don't get me wrong. And uh, Jakob Pertl, who is injured at the moment, yeah. um, has kind of trickled off. He, he, I think he can uh, kind of have a resurgence. I overall, I think I just like Stanford's starting five a little more. I mean, we're splitting hairs here. Um, I hey, think you by, said it. You said it. I didn't say it. You said it. Yeah, no. I think by season's end, uh, Stanford will have it will bear out that they're the slightly better team. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Whatever. I think they're all good. I'll tell you. I think they're all good enough and have the talent um, to make big runs in the tournament. Like, I'm expecting all three of those teams to reach the Sweet 16, not knowing who they're going to play tournament-wise. Um, but, I get, like, you know, it's, it's a minority opinion with Utah. I, they're, they're plenty good. I think Stanford's only a little bit better. And then I think the drop-off in the Pac-12 after that is fairly sizable. I mean, if Sam wants to expound on this, he can. But the league has gone through these weird waves this year where to start – it didn't look like it was that deep beyond Arizona. And then we had a, a situation where UCLA was okay. Oregon was winning enough. Washington started hot. And so people thought – and Colorado at the time was decent. So people thought, okay, this league actually Cal, – Cal won some games? Cal yeah, Cal was 10-1 at one point. Yeah. I mean, Cal was – yeah, I mean, you can take this, Sam. But, like, Cal was 10-1, and one, looked good. Tyron Wallace is playing like the Pac-12 player of the year. They've dropped like eight of the past, seven of the past eight games. They're absolutely in the tank, and uh, it's kind of signifying the rest of the league below the three teams we mentioned. No one's by any means uh, a sure thing to get to the tournament. Yeah, I think that Washington's probably on the right side of things right now, but basically they aren't a sure thing at all the way they're playing. Um, I, I don't know why you don't like Utah uh, either. <laughs> I like Utah. <laughs> um, you were talking about depth a little bit, and Stanford right now is even less deep because of Reed Travis's injury. Um, he's out, and they have a. They basically are playing four guys that I would consider like above average players. Um, the rest of their bench is pretty rough. Grant Verhoeven is playing, or was playing, like 
substantial minutes and he's not particularly great. Um, Utah, though, is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Uh, they're sixth right now in Ken Palm's adjusted defense rating, and they were really good last year, too. So there's no reason to really think it's an anomaly. Um, part of that is Pirtle, who's just terrific inside defensively, defending the rim. And he teams with Dolan Bachinski to uh, really do a great job there and really control the boards and end team's possessions after one shot. Uh, plus, they do have an All-American in DeLon Wright. And while I think that Chason Randall's a really good player, he's not DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright is, like I said, a first-team All-American, probably, in my mind, third in the National Player of the Year race. Um, and he's a guy that they can really count on at the end of shot clocks to get either himself a bucket or his teammates a bucket. Uh, and you can't really... Uh, count that out enough plus they get jordan leverage back now um brandon taylor stepped up or chapman and kyle kuzma are pretty good freshmen that have stepped up uh so I, I think that team's deeper i think they're better defensively and i think that uh they're a little bit more consistent offensively because of right and they're just a better team overall but i do think stanford's good i don't think they're top 20 good but i think they're good um they Lost a double overtime game at UCLA that I was at that was kind of scary considering we know what has happened with UCLA and how uh, destructed their depth has been. Uh, but I think Stanford's an NCAA tournament team, and I think that those three are your like sure things in the Pac-12 right yeah, now. Yeah, I think, uh, I, th I think Arizona's top 10 good. I think Utah's top 10 to 15 good. I think Stanford's top 25-ish good. And I agree that DeLon Wright, I, I've got player of the year rankings posting a little later on, on Friday, and um, it, it'll be Jalu Okafor 1, Frank Kaminsky 2, and DeLon Wright uh, 3. Let's switch gears a little bit. Last night, um, inside Assembly Hall, Indiana beat Maryland 89-70. The Hoosiers shot 60% from the field, 68% from three-point range. They're now... 15-4 um, overall, tied atop the Big Ten standings with Wisconsin. They're 5-1 in the league. Uh, they got four top 30 Ken Palm wins. Um, Maryland, Ohio State, Butler, and SMU's the list. Really only just one bad loss, and that loss came in November. So I'll ask you, Norlander, how good is this Indiana team? Better or worse than Stanford? <laughs> um, better, I think. Barely, but better. Um, all right, let's get into this here because there's some weird stuff happening here. Um, Rick, Rick Bozich, Pat Forty, Mike DeCourcy, Seth Davis. Those are four media members that I can count that I've seen. There might be more. Suddenly, like there's this deal where the media wanted Tom Crean fired and the media got it wrong. And it's freaking annoying when people just blast the media in general. That's fans, let alone writers. Um, as if if you polled Indiana fans right now, do you want Tom Crean as your coach for the next five years? Fairly confident in saying the majority would say no. It's not the media that wanted Crean fired. It's the fans, and rightfully so, you know, on my hot list, you know, uh, coach's hot seat list that went live in the preseason, you know, I said if Tom Crean didn't make the tournament, he would be, lose his job. I think that's exceedingly reasonable when How you about look this? I'll take it a step further. It was 100 and still is 100% true. I, I, I'm with you on this, Norlander. Like, this whole idea, yeah. like, oh, what was the media talking about? Are you out of your mind? Dude, I do not know. Like, on, I don't know where it's coming from. Like, you know, in a weird way, it's like, 
it's it's um uh, I don't it's weird like I don't want to say it's homerism because that's not what it is but like I don't get this sudden change in how we're treating Crean in Indiana in the past seventy two hours as if this wasn't like a freaking debacle at the beginning of the season with you know players hitting each other with cars <laughs> and and Crean's general job status being like. People are saying, like, Andy Katz on Twitter, like, and I don't mean to call out writers, but I hate it when no, people... No, I'd rather you call... Like, let's talk about people by... We all have names. Like, exactly. Like, if you're going to call out people, yeah. like, freaking call them out. Like, Katz said to Corsi on Twitter, he's like, Cream's job was never in jeopardy. That's well, I not guess true. it's easy to say that yeah. today when Indiana's thriving, but if you're telling me that at the start of the season there wasn't any sort of consternation and uncertainty about Tom Crean at Indiana, like that's fantasy land. That is fantasy land. Indiana was picked. First off, let's let's get the context correct. A bad season last season. Tons of off the court issues. Now we can we can say, and I've said before. We can say none of them, independent of everything else, was that big of a deal. Like even the, you know, the uh, accident with you know one player hitting another player with a car. It was just an accident. It was stupid kids being stupid kids, drunk kids being drunk kids. Frankly, but um, you you know we're not talking about a bank robbery. We're not talking about domestic violence. We're not talking about armed robbery, you know, we're, it, it, the things were, relatively speaking, to what some programs could theoretically deal with, they, they weren't big deals. But stacked on top of each other, coming off of a bad season, they were they were framed as what is going on at Indiana. And then they were picked 10th in the Big Ten. And you could say whatever you want on January 23rd. Here's the truth. If Indiana was right now sitting at 10th in the Big Ten standings, Tom Crean's job would very much be in jeopardy. And guess who knows that better than anybody? Tom Crean. So, like, the idea that Indiana's instead sitting here at 15-4 and four and nationally ranked on January 23rd as opposed to 10th in the Big Ten standings doesn't mean anything that was suggested in November wasn't true. The, uh, and, like, nobody tried to fire Tom Crean in November. <laughs> now, except, except... Let's let's talk names. Greg Doyle. Doyle. Greg Doyle was willing to fire Tom Crean in November. <laughs> and if you want to say that was like knee-jerk reaction kind of silly, then that's fine. I do think that was kind of knee-jerk reaction kind of silly. In fact, I wrote it at the time. Nobody needs to fire Tom Crean today. That's what I wrote. But let, this is what this is the season. This is where he's at heading into the season. And this season went poorly, then um then his job would very much be in jeopardy. So Listen, all, every single person we've named, other writers we've named, is somebody I consider a friend. Somebody I've either had a meal with or a drink with or a bunch of meals and drinks with. Um, but the idea that his job wasn't in any kind of jeopardy, no matter what, that's just, that's just, I mean, that's bullshit. I mean, that, like, it, <laughs> it is. And I mean, he's in year seven now and he's probably going to get to the tournament, which is huge because in the six years prior, and yes, I'm aware of what he inherited, you know, the mandatory uh, prefacing with that, but you know, two tournaments in six years and in their best year when they had final four hopes, they, you know, they got taken out by Syracuse uh, in a huge loss in the Sweet 16. So there was, and there still is. I mean, I was at the Indiana game at the Garden earlier this year when fans were yelling out Brad Stevens. Like, this is not some sort of media-invented, and I'll pardon the freaking word, but narrative about how the media wants Tom Crean out and wants Brad Stevens in. Like, that, that's just not something that 
media I know are actively rooting for. That no, just the, like who can, I, like I hate it when things like the media wanted Tom. Why would I want Tom Crean fired? Uh, exactly. or, or why would even honestly, why would Greg Doyle want Tom Crean fired? Like who, like you, you think I care who coaches at Indiana? Like whatever. I, I've got a better relationship with Tom Crean. Even every, even everything that I've written, I've got a better relationship with Tom Crean than probably anybody they could hire to be the coach at Indiana. So the idea that anybody like, well, this is, here's what it is. Bad season at a traditionally strong program where there is intense pressure and and it with off the court issues and it seems like you're headed for another bad season. That's where all that conversation uh, came from in November, just like the year before. Um, all the stuff was talking. It was like Rick Barnes. And then guess what Rick Barnes did? He went out and won. So he removed the conversation. But it doesn't mean the conversation in November 2013 about Rick Barnes wasn't an accurate conversation or something that uh, reflected reality. I mean, it's a little bit like this. And Sam, like, tell me if I've got the analogy wrong. Okay. Right now, what are people writing about David Black? Um, that he sucks, that they can't get anything together chemistry-wise, that they can't defend, that they can't do this, they can't do that. Is his job in jeopardy? Uh, yeah, I would say it's in jeopardy. Everybody would say it's in jeopardy. Yeah. Doesn't seem to have a great relationship with LeBron, which is probably the key to keeping that job. And they're not winning. They're like fifth in the Eastern Conference right now. Okay, so we could all, like, okay, it's January 23rd, 2015. We are right now saying David Blatt is fifth in the East, not doesn't seem to have a great relationship with LeBron James. If this continues, like if they finish fifth in the East, if this goes the way it looks like it's going, they finish fifth in the East and then they lose in the first round of the playoffs, then David Blatt probably won't have his job next year. He will not coach the Cavaliers next season. Is that all reasonable? Anybody disagree? Yeah, I think that that's fine. That's not even a knee-jerk reaction. Okay. I don't understand Now you ready why. for this? What if yeah. they win 20 of the next 24, they end <laughs> up finishing first in the East, and they win the world championship? Oh, this David Blatt European experiment was great. Okay, right? Worked out so well. The conversation will change because the context changes. It won't mean that anything we just said on January 23rd about David Blatt isn't true on January 23rd. But if you turn it around and surprise everybody, then of course you're going to keep your job. And that ultimately is all that's happened at Indiana right now. And let me be very clear. I'm glad it's happened at Indiana right now. You know what I hate more than anything in college basketball? The coaching carousel. So if Indiana job doesn't open, that's actually better for me because it means that you don't have to worry about Indiana's search. And whenever Indiana plucks a coach, you don't have to worry about whatever they pluck the coach from, that coaching search. So, like, I want Tom Crean to stay the coach at Indiana forever. The same way I want John Calipari to stay at Kentucky forever. The same way I want Bill Self to stay at Kansas forever. It makes my it actually makes my life easier if there isn't much movement. So the only um, – the, 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 the idea that anything, the only thing I think you can say that was written or said about Tom Crean in Indiana in November that was over the top, and I'm saying this about one of my friends, was Greg Doyle saying Tom Crean should not be, should be fired today. Like that, that was over the top, and that was, that was a knee-jerk reaction, I think. And I think even Doyle would probably take that back right now if you asked him if he could. Outside of that, people framing the... The context of Tom Crean entering this season, coming off a bad season, projected to finish 10th in the Big Ten. If it goes that way, he probably won't be the head coach at Indiana in 2015-16. Every bit of that was true then, and it's still true right now. And if Indiana somehow ends up finishing 10th in the Big Ten this season, guess what? Indiana will almost certainly have a new basketball coach next year. Why? I do, I'll never understand why people can't make sense that, that 
both of those things are true. That that Tom Crean is 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 off to a terrific start in this particular season, but all the things said and written about Indiana and his job security in November were also accurate. Yeah, I uh, would agree. I think the most interesting uh, turn of events would be if Indiana kind of solidly got into the tournament as a four seed and got upset by a thirteen. I still <laughs> think Crean would keep his job, but you you know, in the aftermath of that. Um, Fans would lose their minds because it would be, you know, <laughs> the you know the rug would be pulled out from underneath them. But um, overall, hey, love watching the team. They're doing this without Hanner Mascara Perea, which is pretty impressive. They've had to go to a smaller lineup. Uh, Yogi Ferrell has been fairly consistent. James Blackman Jr. still one of the top five freshmen in the country, in my opinion. And Troy Williams um, is exceedingly <laughs> fun to watch. So in terms of what this team is this year in the context of the Big Ten, are they the second best team? maybe i mean they did beat maryland on their home floor maryland's looked terrific you actually kind of have the two most surprising stories throughout college basketball right there in that league with the terrapins and the hoosiers teams that you know most thought would be struggling to to get an 11 or 12 seed coming into the season so it's been it's been a fun ride and i'm intrigued to see who really takes command of that second and third spot in the big 10 going forward because it's clearly wisconsin and then everyone else but, uh, but you know, the league is down just a little bit this year as well. So that's also contributed, I think, to a, to a certain degree with Maryland and Indiana playing the way they are. But they're certainly both worthy teams, both top 25 teams. And it's been, uh, it's been an interesting watch over the past couple of weeks. Remember, today's Ion College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. It's now redesigned with Squarespace 7 interface, including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages. And Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website so the content's going to look great on every device every time. Start a free trial with no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the I Own College Basketball Podcast. That's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. So Hugh Greenwood had a pretty unusual postgame interview after New Mexico's win over UNLV. We were sitting in studio waiting to a tape, a, a last version of Inside College Basketball. And so uh, we're waiting for him to throw it to us from Las Vegas. And he uh, addressed a Twitter troll, I guess is the proper uh, term for it, who was making light of his mother's cancer diagnosis. And it was just a, um, a pretty unusual uh, live television moment, at least as it relates to, to college basketball. Nerlander, I know you wrote about it. What would you make of that moment? Pretty interesting moment. Um, something we don't see very often in a post game. You know, usually those post game interviews last fifteen to twenty seconds with the player. It's a it's a few responses as you as you'd expect, and then they're off on their way. Uh, in this case, I don't even know if the the sideline reporter for CBS Sports Network was expecting this kind of answer from Hugh, who you know essentially called out this this random guy on Twitter who was um, you know making lighthearted jokes about his mother's cancer. And, you know, he frankly said, that's crossing a line. And, uh, and thanks for motivating me to, you know, beat your team tonight. Um, and so with that, it was a, an uncommon but interesting uh, moment. And, and good for Greenwood for standing up for, I guess, you know, his family and the notion of, of going back at cyberbullying in a very small but I think significant way. 
Sam, what, how is that an extreme example of cyberbullying uh, with athletes, or is that a pretty normal thing? Like, uh, clearly, it, it registered with Hugh in a way that um, that mattered, and so he reacted to it. But uh, like, do you think other like is that is that a normal thing? What we what we saw Hugh sort of bring to national television the other night. Well, it's not normal the way that Hugh brought it. I, I looked through the tweets that the guy sent to Greenwood, and I think that it was an atypical case of a guy, like, legitimately saying that his mother was going to die. Like, that's crossing a line. It's way too far. And I absolutely agree with Greenwood bringing it up in this postgame presser and making sure that the guy know that it motivated him to, like Norlander said, beat his team. Um, and like I said, I'm all for him just uh, standing up to this faceless cyber bullying that occurs to some athletes in the internet age. It's absurd. Some guys need to kind of take a step back away from the laptop keys and, you know, just think about what you're typing to this kid before. And I'm sure that this guy was doing it on purpose, trying to get a rise out of Greenwood, whatever. But this was a very, very extreme case of what uh, he was saying to Greenwood. And I, I think that uh, he absolutely had a right to respond and he absolutely uh, made a great statement with the way that he played. Uh, D'Angelo Harrison uh, is now the best bounce passer. Bounce passer. D'Angelo, what did I say? D'Angelo Harrison? Yeah, yeah it's all right. He's okay. he's okay. He's okay at bounce passing. But D'Angelo Russell, man. But D'Angelo I- Russell is on another uh, level. Like he's now got two... Uh, beautiful vine moments, courtesy of bounce pass. He really is a special talent in 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 regards to how he sees things develop. Isn't that right, Sam? This is all you, man. This is this is your guy. This is your alma mater. <laughs> I love D'Angelo Russell uh, in every way. I just moved him into my top five on my big board. I'll have a nice little roundup post on it today. Um, he, he's just incredible the way that, like Norlander said, the way he sees the floor, um, the way that, like that play was supposed to be a lob to Sam Thompson coming off a screen from the top of the key. But Russell just saw this bounce pass opportunity where, uh, I think that Rob Doster said it best where he just let this ball go and it looked like a bowling follow through after he let this pass go. And it was just so beautiful and so incredible. And it's the second time he did it. The first one was even prettier this or last weekend whenever he put like English on the ball to get it to Thompson um between his shooting his vision his ball handling ability he Jeff Bowles who is the lead assistant at Ohio State uh who should you know probably be getting a head coaching job in the next couple of years at this point um he posted another vine of Russell just breaking this guy's ankles on Northwestern last night, too. He has, like, everything that you could possibly want from an offensive basketball player. Um, And he's just incredible to watch. I just wish that that Ohio State team was any good. (laughs) I will say that I was working on a story in the preseason about, I think about Shannon Scott, maybe, becoming, you know, Ohio State's primary point guard. And so I was talking to Thamata, and I just sort of, like, you know, at the end, you're making small talk. And I'm like, how's D'Angelo been? He's like, he's great. He said, here's the thing. Like, he sees things on the court that that are unusual for a freshman. Like, and he actually took it a step further. He said he sees things develop sometimes that I don't even see developing. Like, he's really <laughs> unique in that way. Like, it's a special, special gift that this kid has. And I remember, like, 
I, I don't know, just sort of filing that away. Like, well, that was interesting. Like, he wasn't just like, hey, like you ask most coaches, how's so-and-so doing? Oh, he's doing well, you know. But Thad went really into great detail about a, a very particular aspect of D'Angelo Russell's game. And I've just, I've always, so I've just sort of always remember that. And you see these passes, like they're all like, you know, slow motion now. You can really break down what's happening. And he is seeing things that aren't, that other people wouldn't see. Like other point, other pure point guards wouldn't see. And uh, it, it, I don't know exactly what it means going forward, but that's not, you know, we talk about improving jump shooting and improving, you know, this and improving that. I like, some of the, some stuff like this, like you can either see those plays developing or you can't see those things de- developing. And I, I don't know that that's something you can improve on or, or, or get if you don't have it, like you just have it. And he seems mm-hmm. to so clearly have it right. Norlander. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was pretty big on Russell coming into the season because, um, you know, I talked to recruiting guys and talked to the Ohio state coaches and they were very big, uh, on what he could do and the, him being their most talented player. He's only proven that Th- those passes that he's able to make, it's almost like uh, <laughs> he he's like Zach Morris and calls it. He freezes everyone around him and he waits for <laughs> for the right angle. To, and it's just or like he tilts the floor. It's, it's just an awesome thing because the, the Northwestern one particularly like he's cocked the ball back right. and he's just waiting for the play to develop. And it's and it's almost like defense. Don't you see what's happening here? Um, and it's still he's able to make the play happen. It's just. It's fun because at the college level, we always have a few stars every year. But there are only one to two, maybe three in a good year kind of players where their talent level is is so enjoyable and consistent and reliable on a game-by-game basis that you want to tune in and watch them. And I think Russell has just about reached that point. He's not obviously a marquee player like Jimmer was at that level or, or Adam Morrison because in part Ohio State's not totally a terrific team. But watching him play and the numbers he's putting up, if, if OSU is able to get a little bit better, and as we hit the, the, the primary stride of college hoop season here, uh, Russell will be about as entertaining as almost any other player in the game to watch. Uh, last thing uh, before we get out of here, Norlander, you are going to be in Madison Square Garden on Sunday when Mike Krzyzewski tries to go for win uh, 1,000. I was at uh, the Yum Center last weekend when he was supposed to be going for 1,000, but instead was going for 998. He got that one, then he got 999 midweek. Um, how big of a deal is this on Sunday? It feels like one of those things that we're going to talk about, talk about, talk about, and then by the time Sunday night gets here and he's done it, assuming he does it, it'll just be like totally like that. It'll be over with. Or do I have it framed incorrectly? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a it's a big deal in that it's you know, Chevsky, maybe maybe the greatest coach ever. I mean, it's him or Wooden. Basically, you can have that debate if you like, but. You know, he's not the first coach to ever get to a thousand wins. I mean, at the D1 level, Summit did it. There's there have been guys in lower levels of college basketball who have also done it. But there is a significance to a big round number like that. I don't know if Shashevsky really cares too much about it. He might. I don't have a good sense, and maybe he'll he'll talk about it a little more after the game if they win. Which, by the way, if uh, if they don't win. Um, and there's no guarantee. St. John's is a capable team. I mean, they have the home game. They can win that. But if Duke doesn't win, then their next two games are at Notre Dame and at Virginia, very tough places to get a victory. So 
there's a slight chance that actually he could be sitting on 999 until February. They host Georgia Tech at home, and that's uh, that's the surefire guarantee if if it if it takes that long for him to get a thousand. But hopefully he gets it Sunday because frankly I'll be traveling to down to New York City to to write and cover the game, and I'd like to have something uh, interesting to write about. But we'll see what happens with that. That's the big game, uh, GP. Before we get out of here, do you want to hit on a couple of just other games from the weekend, real quick. Can I can I get your thoughts? You're gonna get my thoughts, of course. Okay. Um, so on on Sunday there are only really three games of consequence. There's that. There's Indiana Ohio State, which is kind of a fairly vital one for Ohio State, right? I mean, they kind of if they don't if Indiana wins that one, I think you can clearly say they're the second best team in the Big Ten. Oh, I think it's actually big for Indiana as well because like if. You know, like everybody knows what happened last night. You know, they blow up Maryland. They want to see you back it with something else terrific. And so, like, if you're for your, for Indiana's purposes, if you really want to legitimize yourself, it's one thing to beat somebody up in your home gym when you're shooting sixty percent. Let's let's see you go get one on the road, right? Yes. Um, Notre Dame plays at NC State. If NC State wins it, uh, they're going to be in the tournament picture at that point. So that's just a huge home opportunity for them on Sunday. On Saturday, um, biggest game. Probably Kansas, Texas uh, would be huge if Texas won it. Um, I don't know who's going to win that game. I don't really have a good reading on it. But the one to maybe look for here is we've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times because it's happened before. Kentucky goes to South Carolina. So are either of you picking South Carolina to beat Kentucky there? No, no, no. I'm never going to pick anybody to beat Kentucky. Sam? (laughs) I'm not. Um, Yeah, I think that... Kentucky kind of does what South Carolina does, just considerably better. (laughs) No, if you like, I think this would have been like a reasonable thing to consider maybe like three weeks ago, but South Carolina's just, they're not any good anymore. I know. Like, but what are we like? Is Kentucky just bored? Like, a bunch of home games or a bunch of close games. Like, Vanderbilt's not horrible this year, but Vanderbilt shouldn't be keeping it within five points with three minutes to go at Rupp. Like, do we just think Kentucky's bored? We don't have to get on this for like ten minutes. Yeah, but no, I think they're bored. Weird to me. No, I think they get bored, but they're still good enough to win against most everybody, even when they're bored. That's what I think it is. Like when now when they got you, you, you get bored against somebody like Virginia, somebody like Duke, somebody like Arizona, somebody like Wisconsin, you'll get beat. But you can get bored against Vandy and still win. Now. Keep in mind, they're a shot against Texas A&M away from losing, a shot against Ole Miss away from losing, but um, yeah, yeah, they're just they're just so much better than everybody else they're going to play. I mean, and, that, and that's true the rest of the season. They're just so much I better. Know. The rest of the regular season, they're just so much better than everybody else. And I think Kevin Stallings like touched on something that isn't. Um, I, I, you know, it, it, he didn't see, he didn't see something that other people haven't seen, but he he sort of uh, phrased it this way. He said they can endure. Most teams can't endure two or three guys having off nights. You, you in college basketball, you have two or three of your key guys have off nights, and you're in big big trouble. But it doesn't matter to them that much. They they it might matter to them against another elite team, but against almost everybody they're going to play in the SEC, they can. Like, Willie can be off, Aaron Harrison can be off, Tyler Eulis can be off, and they're still good enough to beat you. And uh, to me, that's going to be the reason that they end their selection Sunday undefeated, is um, they're going to play well enough in spots to just run people off the court. And even when they play poorly, the gap between them and everybody else in the SEC is significant enough where, um, you know, they're, they're probably going to be okay. I recognize that they've already almost lost twice, but I, I, I think that, 
I, I do. I don't want to say for the first time, but I do believe um, now that when the question is posed, is, is Kentucky going to be undefeated on Selection Sunday? My answer is now yes. It's no longer, well, you know, they could be. It's now yes. I think they're going to be undefeated on Selection Sunday. Sam, have you come around to that yet? Um, no, I've actually kind of gone the opposite way. I think that they're just going to get bored and drop a game. Yeah, like, I, like you said, like I think that like they're, they're just kind of getting to that point where things are coming easily to them, even though they're, you know, they're playing tight games with Vanderbilt, they're playing tight games with Ole Miss, they're playing tight games with Texas A&M, but they still haven't dropped that game. Like they're, they're having off nights and still winning. Um, and maybe they've gotten those out of their system, so to speak, but I, I don't think it'll happen at South Carolina, but you've got games like at Florida who, you know, is not great, but that's still not easy to go into Gainesville. Um, Looked easy you know, for LSU. <laughs> I was going to say you have LSU next. You have Arkansas, um, Tennessee. At Tennessee is actually an interesting game because the Vols have gotten out to four and one in the SEC. Um, so, so I think there are plenty of opportunities for this team to drop a game. Um, I, I would still say no, but I think there's certainly a chance they go unbeaten. I'm not going to okay. not going to dismiss it. <laughs> I am. I'm going to take South Carolina to win. Oh, so, wow, Norlander. Close, yeah. I'm, I'm, ever, I'm, since, ever since you picked Duke comfortably at Louisville, you think you can just do one of these every weekend, huh? I, that's You know what? That's what I'm going with. But I will, you know, I will not ignore my mistakes either. I did say that uh, Utah would win at Arizona, and that was a blowout. So that was, uh, And then no, you decided to hate Utah. That was a big, fat wanker. Yeah. I know. I, I, missed, I missed it. Um, all right, real quick here. So... Mountain West just has an awesome weekend. San Diego State at Colorado State and New Mexico at Wyoming. Those are just awesome kick-ass games. Um, but there are a few games, real quick, GDP, that I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, they're kind of like games where seasons, like, all right, let's dr- dramatize a little bit. But like, it feels like if you don't if you don't win this game, you're not making the tournament, and you might already already be out. Well, there's, there's, there's no, let me let here, me let here me. The, there's no the, such thing the, in January. I think I know what your top game. But go is ahead. Here. Okay. Yeah, it, it, maybe not that much, but it's like if you lose this, I'm really just not seeing scenarios where you're going to be able to overcome down the road and get into the tournament. So Michigan's got to beat Wisconsin at home, and Michigan gets the home game. Memphis has to win at Tulane, and Memphis is a freaking mess anyway. And uh, Florida has to win at Ole Miss. Those are kind of the three do-or-die games this weekend. Yeah, I think Florida still has a chance to get there. I don't think Memphis is going to get there, and I'd be surprised if Michigan gets there. I'm not even talking about this weekend. I'm just talking about the NCAA tournament. Would agree. I just think if, they, if all those three teams lose, they're going to be in such massive holes. Um, and then the other sneaky one is Miami at Syracuse. Yep, that's Syrac- the one I was thinking. If Syracuse wins, they're going to be, what, 6-1 and one in the ACC. They're just sneaky right now. I don't know what to make of the orange. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think uh, the back – the. Their their schedule's backloaded, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They they really run into it, so they better knock this one out because it gets um, it gets it gets very difficult as they as they uh, start to close. Yeah. But, yeah. I would go as far as to say this might be a must win for them, given their schedule late. Yeah. All right. Well, it's it's a decent weekend. Last weekend was loaded. This weekend's pretty interesting. Yeah. This it's weekend's not not nearly as good as last weekend. I think the best game's probably Kansas at Texas. Um, yeah, and then and then K is the headliner on sure. Sunday. But overall, it's, and then it's the not ja- the January thirty first weekend is great. Oh, it's loaded. And actually, are you gonna do like, are you gonna do Virginia Duke or what we talked about in the off season? And I guess it's not as compelling now, yeah. or maybe it is more so. It's Bruce are Pearl you thinking, back in Knoxville. 
You're going to go there? No, I have TV responsibilities for CBS Sports Network. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't realize that at the time that I was saying I'm going. I was going to go to Duke, Virginia. Um, then I found out I have TV responsibilities. So I will be doing, I'll be on television duty uh, watching all sorts of uh, basketball games. But we'll talk about that next week. Let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the On College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. Make sure to do that. And uh, either way, I will talk to you again on Monday. Take care.